All right. Good morning, church. How you guys doing? I'm back. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Josh, and I am the worship arts director here, and I am thrilled to have the opportunity to crack open God's Word this morning and take a look at the Bible and take a look at Jesus and uh, everything that he did for us. It's a, I take this as an honor and a privilege, and so, Pastor Rick, thank you for the opportunity to get up here and be loud and crazy and talk about Jesus and wear really skinny jeans and have a nice beard, but it's going to be an amazing day. I'm excited. It's Impact Weekend. If you didn't know already, by all the crazy yellow shirts that we're wearing and all the people that are here and the fact that we only have one service today. And so later on today, we're going to be going out into the community and uh, we're just going to be loving on the community. It's going to be a great day and we'll find out more information about that at the end before we leave. Um, but today I've got a word for you, church. I've been preparing for a while. I say a while, it's like a couple weeks really. Um, and uh, I've got this weird creative process that I go through when I prepare my messages. It's just like I, I think about the things that are not in order on my message, so it's really weird. And so one morning, uh, it was like last week Thursday, I, I remember it. God woke me up at literally 3.30 in the morning and uh, put the whole message in my head. And I'm just laying there in bed and I'm like, God, couldn't you wait until like 7.30 or 8, like a normal time? And he's like, no, 3.30, I need you to get up and do this. And I'm like, okay, well, if I don't, I'm not going to be able to sleep. So I woke up, I got out of bed, well, made sure my wife was still sleeping, shut the door, and went out, and I wrote my whole message down. And then I had a bowl of cereal because it was breakfast time for me. And then, uh, then I went back to bed. So it was like 4.30, I'm like, hey, I'll go back to bed now. I got everything that I need to do. So I am ready to go this morning, and I'm excited. Um, we're going to take you to a, a portion of Scripture that's probably one of my most uh, favorite portions of Scripture, probably because it relates most to my personality and just kind of of how uh, I think and I operate and I talk. But before we get into that, I have one question for you all. How many of you are the oldest child in your family? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, those are my people. I am too. I'm just bragging a little bit. Okay, how many of you are the middle child, right? The, the favorite child. Yep, all of you favorite people. You wear your little tiaras. I know. And then how many are like the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh? I don't know how big your family is, but it's, it's probably an oops child, but probably not, you know? And so, um, I remember growing up, you know, it was me and my brother and my sister, and I was the oldest. And, you know, when you're the oldest child, uh, typically you're the guinea pig, right? Your parents never had a baby before. This is their first time. They're like, I really don't know what to expect. And so, you know, they're making mistakes, and you're learning, and you're going through the process. You're like, Mom, don't you know what you're doing? I shouldn't be doing this. And they're like, yeah, I don't know, maybe. And so, you know, as the oldest child, you're the guinea pig. And then the middle child, like, you guys are good to go, right? Because they've made the mistakes on me, the first child, right? So the, the middle child is always the favorite because they, like, they got it down, right? And then the third, fourth, and fifth, the parents are like, yeah, go roll in the dirt. You're fine. It's going to be okay because they've had a few kids, and they're like, hey, it's fine, right? But so for me, as the oldest child, I feel like I had more of a rebellious spirit uh, than my siblings. Um, I can remember times in my life where I had conversations with my parents after I had made a mistake or had my hand too far in the cookie jar when I shouldn't have had my hand in the cookie jar. And so I'm sure some of you out there, whether you were the oldest, the middle, or the youngest, you can relate, right? I'm sure there was a time in your life where you had a moment where your parents sat you down and said, hey, listen, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. Tell me what I'm doing wrong, right? And so I, for me, I, there was just more than a few times apparently in my head that I can recall. And I can always remember the phrase that my parents would say to me. And they would you know, tell me everything and it would get really quiet and they would put their heads down and they'd say, you really lost our trust. And I'm like, great. This is fourth time I've done this, I guess it's just a game for me, right? And so I, I would always hear those lines, and those parents would always tell you those. And so maybe you can relate. You've had a moment like that in your life that you could think back to. You're like, man, <laughs> I made a big mistake, all right? And so we've all been there, right? We've all had those conversations with our parents 
with our father, with our mother. And we've all made mistakes, right? And so today, I'm going to take us into James. James is in the New Testament, so if you have your Bibles, flip open to James with me. We're going to be in chapter 2. If you've got your smartphone, scroll it there. If you don't have anything, don't worry. We've got these beautiful, nice screens, and you can read everything and follow along with me. But James, if you don't know what James, I'll give you a little context. James is uh, the brother of Jesus, right? Those are some big shoes to fill. You know, it's funny because I always make the joke that my brother is Jesus because he literally looks like Jesus. He's got the full beard, the long hair, and he's like skinny and slender. And he's got. So if you ever need a Jesus to rent for Easter or Christmas, I'll give you his number. You know, he's readily available. But James, he is the brother of Jesus, right? And so James here, he is speaking to Christian believers. He's speak, speaking to people who believe in Jesus. And his tone that he talks with is very much like a parent. It's very father. It's very direct. It's very to the point, and it's very bold. Very similar to my personality. I am straight to the point. I'm very like, let's do this. Let's get it done. We're not beating around any bushes. And James is like, this is how it is. And I'm like, my man, I respect that. And so today, we're going to be in James. And his purpose for this, uh, these letters that he was writing, um, was to really teach correct Christian behavior and, and how to uh, how to act after you've you know, accepted Jesus and you're like walking this walk. And uh, don't freak out if you don't believe in Jesus today. That's totally fine. You don't have to believe in Jesus to fit in here at CCC. Everyone's entitled to their own beliefs. But uh, this can maybe give you a little insight of what it's like to be someone that believes in Jesus and lives this life. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be going straight to James 2. And we're going to start in verse 14. Um, probably one of my favorite part of scriptures. And it's very controversial, too. And, uh, you know, I, I chose to talk about this today. So uh, if you ever find a point in this message where you're like, man, you're pushing all my buttons, don't blame me. Blame the Bible, okay? I'm, just, I'm, t- I'm bound to the story. That's how it works, okay? And so we're going to be in James 2, and we're going to start in 14. And here is what it says. What good it is, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions. Woohoo! Dropping the hot bombs early. Can that kind of faith save Anyone, suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothes and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. That's just mean. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? In 17, it says, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. And that's a bold statement at the end of that sentence. And that's going to be a common theme through these couple chunks of scripture that we're going to be talking about today. And so here, James starts out by, by just basically saying, listen, what's the point of having faith if you're not going to do anything with it? And he's just like real direct. He's just like real up in your face. And he's like, ooh, let's talk about the heavy stuff today. Don't worry, I'll lighten it up with my jokes and my jeans won't get any looser, though. Don't worry about that. But today I want to talk about three specific ways that we can impact our community. And when I say we, I mean us in our own personal lives. Like today is Impact Weekend, and we're going out into the community as a church and with other churches in the area, and we're going to make a difference in this community, right? And that is awesome, and that is amazing. But what does your life look like on a Monday through Saturday when you're not in church and you're not studying the Word? What does that look like, and how can we make a difference in our community with our friends, with our family, with our coworkers, with strangers that we've never met before? And so today, that's what I want to delve into, and James is going to help us evolve that concept and that theory. And so the first thing that I want you to write down, if you guys have a pen, if you don't, steal one from your neighbor, there's pens in the chairs, I encourage you to take notes. Don't write on the sticky note yet. If you haven't, good for you. If you have, 
You didn't listen to the rules. But don't write on a sticky note. We'll, we'll get to that at the end of service. But I want you to write down one period and then write this down. We need to love like Jesus. We need to love like Jesus. I love this scripture because he, he, he blatantly says it right here in the middle. He's like, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food, no clothes, and you say, goodbye, have a nice day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothes. Like, what's the point of that? Like, why, why would you not extend a hand? Why would you not love on them? And especially the ones that are less fortunate than us. It doesn't matter where you are in your life and what you have. But it's our calling to love those that are less fortunate to us, and even those that are more fortunate to us. And I'm going to get into that in a little bit. It says in John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. And so God has called us as believers, as people that see and believe in Jesus, that we are to love everybody, everybody and anybody. Now, sometimes that's a difficult concept, especially when the person's like done something to you or you've never met the person before. You're like, how do I love this person? I really don't know. But God has called us to love everybody. And, you know, the concept of love, it's, it's a pretty simple concept, right? Like it's nothing like too crazy. Like most of us know how to show affection. You learn that at an early age when you're a child and, you know, you give mommy a hug, you give mommy a kiss on the cheek, you give daddy a high five, you know, slap dad's butt, just, just the things guys do, you know? And so you learn affection at a young age. But Sometimes I feel like as believers, we overlook it. It's such a simple concept, but I feel like in today's church, not just this church in general, just churches all around the world, and more or less, I feel like in the Western culture in the United States, we struggle with this, right? How many of you have heard the saying, knowledge is power? Anybody? Anybody out there? Yeah, pretty much almost everybody, right? It's a pretty common phrase. And I was thinking about this phrase the other day, and I was like, is knowledge really power? Like, if you put a period at the end of that sentence and you just leave it at that, like knowledge, is it really power? Like if, if it's just sitting in your brain and it's just there and you're not doing anything with it, like is it really powerful? Like is it really doing anything for you? Not really. It just makes your brain a little bit bigger and your head a little heavier to carry. And so I feel like a common thread is like we believe that knowledge and believing in Jesus is our faith. And in reality, that is incomplete faith. So when you finish that sentence and you take the period away and you say knowledge is power when it's applied, when you actually do something with it, right? The world's not going to change itself. And we could sit around and read textbooks and read the Bible and do all these crazy things. But unless we're doing something about it, nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to make a difference if it's just stuck in our heads. We have to physically act and we have to physically do things. A wise woman once told me this. The only Bible verses you truly know are the ones that you live out. Ooh, that's good. The only Bible verses you know are the ones that you truly live out. And there's a lot there that I want to unpack. And when you look at the concept of faith and works, the things that you do, they're pretty much like tied together, right? They're kind of like PB and J. You can't have one without the other. And we're going to keep looking at that as we go on. So as we continue... We're going to go into verse 18, and James is going to pick it up. And he's like, oh, someone may argue something like this. And he says, now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? Think about that for a hot second. How can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? And then he goes on to say, I will show you my faith by my good deeds. 
You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Thumbs up. End of a commercial. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Oh, that's strong. Come on now. I love it because it's so upfront in your face. And the second point that I want you to write down this morning, number two, is that we need to live like Jesus. We need to live like Jesus. Now, I love the middle section of that. It says, you say you have faith, but you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Chip on the shoulder. Yeah. Even the demons believe this. And they tremble in fear. So my question for you today is, what is the difference between you and me and a demon? Ooh, didn't think about that, did you? What is the difference? What is the difference? If they believe and we believe, what really sets us apart? What sets us apart is how we live our lives. What sets us apart is the things that we do on a day-to-day basis. What sets us apart is our priorities in our life, right? Our actions, they verify what we believe, right? If I believe that iPhones are so much better than Androids, which I do, uh, I'm going to buy an iPhone, right? And I've had an iPhone ever since I was a wee tot. Not really a wee tot because it didn't come out that young. But, you know, I've had one forever, right? I made the switch once to Android, and it was a horrible decision, and I regret it dearly, so I came back. But if I believe that, I'm going to go out and buy it. I'm going to make it action. If I believe that coffee is so much better when I do it myself in a pour-over or a Chemex rather than a big batch brew, then I'm going to make my coffee in a pour-over and a Chemex. And if you ever want to experience life-changing coffee, come talk to me. I will make you a cup that will change your life. But you know, I'm going to act on it. I'm going to do something about it. And if I believe that the University of Michigan – see, the dog even agrees with me. He gets it. He's like, yeah, coffee. Let's go. And if I believe that U of M is better than Michigan State, which I do, I'm going to wear maize and blue, and I'm going to celebrate when they beat Michigan State in football this year because it's going to be a good year. right? I'm going to act on it. And if we say that we believe in Jesus and we say we know this God that has changed my life forever and all this power, then I'm going to live differently. I'm going to walk differently. I'm going to have a little bit of a swag knowing that, yeah, I got Jesus in my life. What's going on? Hey, how you doing? Because I know what God's capable of and I know what he's done for me and I know what he's done for you. So our actions, they verify what we believe. But I want to kind of touch on this subject a little bit, and I feel like a lot of us can relate to that, but relate to this, is the fact that our actions alone cannot earn you a spot in heaven. Hear that. Your actions alone cannot earn you a spot in heaven. You may be sitting here today, and I preface this in the beginning, you may not believe in Jesus, and that's fine. You don't have to believe in Jesus to fit in here at CCC. We love everybody. It doesn't matter what you're going through because we realize we're all imperfect beings. We don't have it together, myself included. You know, We're going through this life together, and it's a journey. And you may know somebody that doesn't believe in Jesus, and that's fine. And they're like, maybe they're like a great person. They're like the, the most moral person you've ever met, and they're super awesome. And that's, that's awesome. But I want you to understand this is that The truth is that they will never have an opportunity to experience everything Jesus has to offer them without believing and having faith in him. It says in John 14, 5 through 6, Thomas is talking to Jesus, and basically he's saying, you know, Jesus, if you're you're going to be gone, how how are we going to know how to get to heaven? Like, how are we going to know what to do? And Jesus looks at him straight in the face, and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. 
So in order for us to get to heaven, we have to first believe in Jesus. And then our actions have to verify what we believe, right? If somebody was to look at me and you, and we were not to act any different than if we knew Jesus and we didn't know Jesus, how would they know that we believe in Jesus? How would, we, how would they know that our life is any different than the demons, right? It's because of how we live our lives, church. And so remember that today, as um, faith in Jesus, it brings salvation, an act of obedience demonstrates that our faith is genuine. It's genuine that we actually believe what we're seeing. And, and, and James goes on to prove this, right? He's like, hey, listen, you don't believe me? Fine. I'm going to give you some examples of people that have done this already. And God was like, you get a gold star. All right. So we keep reading. We go to verse 21 and it says, don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. Ooh, that's such a good line. His actions made his faith complete. If you're unaware of what this story is, Abraham basically waited a gazillion years to have a child. He's basically like over 100. And then God's like, hey, listen, I know that you love me, but I want you to sacrifice your son. Could you imagine that? Could you like physically imagine? Like he's, you've waited so long for something and God's like, okay, I want you to sacrifice it now. And, God, and he's like, all right, God, I'll do it. Didn't even, didn't even wince, and he went and did it. And we keep going in 25, and it says, Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown right by God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. And then he ends this whole section with this. Just as the body is dead without breath, also faith is dead without good works. He says that three separate times in a, in a variation of words at each end of each paragraph. Right back at the top, he says, uh, so you see faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. And then he says in 20, how foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? And then he ends it and he's all like, just as the body is dead without breath, also faith is dead without good works. So here he brings to life examples of people that have lived before us. And he basically says, here's what they did. They believed and they listened and they acted. They did something about what they believed in. And so this morning, as we get to our last point here, I want you to write down number three and I want you to write down this. We need to look like Jesus. We need to look like Jesus. And, and let me just make sure we're all on the same page here. I don't physically mean look like Jesus, right? Because that'd be really weird if we all had long hair, beards, and togas. That's just what I envision Jesus looking at, right? It's the purple sash, the traditional. Like, no, we don't need to like look like Jesus. We need to look like Jesus, right? We need to see the world in a different light. When we look at people, we need to see what Jesus sees. You want to know what Jesus sees? He sees his brothers and sisters, his sons and daughters, because he made each and every one of us. And when God sees us and he sees that we're going through something awesome, he's like, yeah, let's go. Keep it going. And when he sees us and we're going through something difficult, God's like, his heart breaks. It breaks for us. For those of you that have kids, out there, just, just, just think about your own children. When you look at your kids and, and they're going through something difficult, doesn't it break your heart? Because you want the best for them all the time. And God's the same way. In church this morning, we need to be intentional with our lives. We need to be intentional every day that we wake up. And we need to look for opportunities. You see it all throughout God's word. All, everything that he does is are by these three principles. And I, and I love the whole, this whole look thing. I was thinking about a story earlier today. And, and, and Jesus at the woman with the well. 
right? They were traveling from city to city, and this well was not a place to stop. And it was midday, and it was one of those times where, like, you don't stop at the well because it's hot, and nobody gets water when it's hot. They go in the morning when the sun's sort of down, and they go at night. And they were walking, and he looked at the disciples, and he, he said, hey, just keep on going. And the disciples were like, what's she doing, boy? It's hot out. And Jesus was like, don't worry about it. He was intentional. He knew that somebody would be coming to that well that doesn't want to be seen by people and is going through something difficult in their life. And that's how that story happened. So for us, we need to be intentional with how we see the world, with how we see people. Because church, this, this, this one concept that I, I want you to get it as, as I start to wrap this up. If our lives remain unchanged, then we don't truly believe the truth that we claim to believe. When we chose to follow Jesus, when we chose to say, I believe in Jesus, I believe everything, and our lives don't change, then this Bible might as well just be uh, just a bunch of pages filled with words because it means nothing to us. It holds no weight in our lives. And so you can, you can typically see this, right? People who, who truly believe in Jesus, they should have been transformed by their faith. And I say should because I think today in, in Western culture, churches in general, we get stuck in this Christian bubble, right? And, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's not a bad thing, so hear me out. We get stuck in this Christian bubble, and churches today in general have become consumer factories, what I mean by this is this. We come to church and we get something. We go to Bible studies and we get something. We go to brunch after with our church friends and we get something. And, and hear me out. I'm not saying like going to church is wrong and, and doing Bible studies is wrong and doing all that stuff is wrong. That's not what I'm saying at all because I fully understand that in order for us to be a good doer, we have to be a good receiver, right? We can't go out and do things with a good heart if our heart's not ready to do that. So I understand that fully. But when our faith is defined by that, when our faith is defined by this intellectual um, knowledge, then that's a bad thing, right? Because our relationship with God isn't purely based on faith. And you can see it in the Bible that I proved to you today, faith and works, they go hand in hand. It's not about what you know. It's about what you know and what you do with what you know. Knowledge is, 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 is power when it's applied. And a lot of times I think when we're in this Christian bubble, we just have this assumption like, yeah, I want to reach people for Jesus and it's going to be awesome when they walk through the front doors of this church and I can really reach them. And it's like, come on, let's be honest. People aren't naturally stumbling into churches. Like it happens every now and then you hear a really awesome story how God brought someone to church. But the majority of people are outside these four walls. They're not just going to come stumble into church and say, I need help, because that's not human nature, right? That's not, like me, I, I hate saying, help me. Like, that's, I, I literally hate saying that, but sometimes I have to. And people, like, that don't know Jesus or maybe don't go to church all the time, they're not going to do that. They're not just going to stumble up into this place. We need to be going out and finding them in the crazy chaos of their lives, and we need to be there for them, and we need to, we need to love them. We need to show them how to live, and we need to look and be intentional about finding those people. Because that's what God has called us to do. And I feel like a lot of times fear cripples us. Fear cripples us because we look at somebody, maybe we know somebody, maybe we don't know somebody, and we know they don't believe in Jesus. And we freak out because we think that we have to save them. We're like, man, I got to go have a conversation with this person, and I got to like take my Bible and shove it down their throat and say, you need Jesus. That's weird. Don't ever do that. And I never told you to do that, okay? But like, listen, you need to understand this simple concept is, is we're not responsible for saving people. That's God's job. 
Let God do what God does. And our job is to just be there for people. Our job is to be a light. Our job is to be an example for people because if we're not doing it, then who's doing it? Who's doing it, church? This simple concept, if we could grasp this today as a church, we could literally change our community. Literally. Like if we all made an effort to try to do this for a full year, I promise you our community would look night and day different than it does today. Night and day different. And so every day we have an opportunity. Every day we wake up, we have a gift from God. We have a breath in our lungs and we have a chance to make a difference. We have a chance to live, love, and look like Jesus. We have that opportunity. And it's our job. And that's what we need to do because that's what Jesus did while he was here. He looked for those that were unlovable. He looked for those that were sick and needed healing. He looked for those that were untouchable. He did all that. While he was here, he showed us how we need to live. True faith always results with actions. And I love it while Jesus was here because he was the ultimate example. It says in Matthew 20, 28, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus did not come down to earth and put on skin and bones and put on a crown and say, worship me. He came and went to places nobody went to, reached people that nobody wanted to reach. And he said, I see you. I love you. I know that you need some, somebody in your life. And I want to be that person, church. And it says in Ephesians 5, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Church, we're supposed to be imitators of Jesus and God. And so if God came here and he did all this, then why should we expect ourselves to do anything else? Church, it's our calling. It's our job as a church to go out and show people how to live, to go out and love people that don't feel loved, to look and be intentional on in how we see the world. And if we grasp that small concept, live, love, and look like Jesus, we will, we will change the world. I have no doubt about it. I don't know how many of you heard this story. I don't know exactly when it happened because I don't have news or cable or anything. I heard it from, from somebody. Um, but the, the Mall of America thing that happened, right, where the, the man went in and he was pushed to the, to the point of breaking and he wanted to kill somebody. And uh, he basically went in and it must have been on the third story or something and grabbed this little five-year-old and threw him over the edge. And... Uh, Crazy story, literally crazy. I couldn't, the first time I heard it, I was sitting behind the drum set and I was like, I'm sorry, what? Like, that's just insane. And luckily, by the grace of God, this child, he's totally fine. He had some broken bones. He's going to make a full recovery. Literally, God's angels held him as he fell. That's, that's literally insane. And, you know, the, the typical response of, of, of anybody when they hear this is like, did they catch him? Is he going to get his punishment that he deserves? And that's fair. That is a fair assessment of the situation. Because I fully believe that when you do something wrong, there's punishment involved with, with things that go wrong. But on the other side of things, too, this man still deserves to be loved. And it's a very unpopular opinion, right? I could tell by the silence in this room. But just imagine the point that this man came to in his life. Think about your life, right? Think about the darkest time in your life. And did it ever push you to the brink of wanting to kill somebody? 
Just imagine what his life must have been like to push him to that point, to walk into a mall and grab a child and throw him over the edge. I can make a bet that he probably didn't have anybody in his life that loved him, that cared for him, that, that showed him how to live a proper life. There was nobody in his life that was being intentional and saying, hey, do you need, do you need some help, man? Like there was probably nobody. And those are the people that we need to be going out and finding, the people that feel like they're unloved, the people that feel like they're unworthy, that have nothing going on in their lives, the people that are broken down and sitting at the bottom of the barrel saying, what is left for me? Those are the people we need to find, church. Those are the people that God came down and said, listen, I'm going to be here for you. But even on the flip side of that, the people that are rich and wealthy and have it all together, they're very good at putting on masks. You always hear the saying, money doesn't buy happiness. And a lot of times money can buy you a really good mask, but inside you're broken and you're hurting. And so today I wanted you to realize that we are called to live, love, and look like Jesus to everybody. It doesn't matter where they're at in their life. It doesn't matter if they're homeless living on the street or they live in a mansion up the street. It doesn't matter if they're part of your family. It doesn't matter if they're your coworker. It doesn't matter if there's someone you've never met before. God has called us to live, love, and look like Jesus. And so this morning, I want to ask you this simple question. When you look at your world, you look at your community that you're a part of, are you making an impact? Think about it for a second. Are you making an impact in the community and the world that you're in, your family, your coworkers, your friends, the people that you come in contact with, of the places you go all the time? Mine's Petaway because I love Petaway, and I'm literally there all the time. I pretty much know everybody behind the bar. It's awesome, right? But if you were to be removed from their lives, would they notice? <laughs> come on now. I'm just like James. I'm going to call it like it is. Think about it. If you were not in their lives anymore, would they notice that you were gone? Would they say, man, Christine really lived a good life and she loved Jesus? Or man, Johnny, Johnny, just was, he loved me so much, man. And I, I just, you could see it, man. He loved God so much. And man, Becca, she really looked for an opportunity to talk to me. Like, would people be able to say that about you if you were not in their life? It's a crazy question, but sometimes the hard questions need to be asked if we want to grow in our lives. Because odds are most of us are here today because we're here to do a project and we're here to go out. But at the same time, we're all here to grow. We're all here to learn something and apply it to our lives. And so today, that's my, that's my challenge to you. As we go out into the community today, we have an opportunity to live, love, and look like Jesus. And as you go home and wake up tomorrow morning and you do your daily grind from Monday to Saturday, we have an opportunity to live love and look like Jesus. Because church, God loves you so much. So much. And sometimes I feel like someone just needs to hear that today. And I don't know where you're at in your life. But God loves you. And I love you. And I see you. And he leaves the 99 every time to find the one, just like the song we sang. That's why I had the team do this song, because that bridge is so good. We're singing this song, and it's about God. And if, if you just change those letters up and apply it to us, it's there's no shadow that we won't light up. There's no mountain that we won't climb up. There's no wall that we won't kick down. And there's no lie that we won't tear down to find the one, to find the people that need it the most. Church, and that's our job. 
And Jesus loves us so much. We just came off Easter and you saw it. He came all the way down to, to earth to put on skin and bones, to live a perfect life, to love everybody that he came in contact with, to look for opportunities to reach people. And he gave it all for us. He got on a cross and died for me and you. We weren't even in existence yet. And God said, I love you so much, I'm going to die for you anyway. And so if God's going to do that, then how are we to not go out and love everybody else just as God loved us? Church, that's our calling. That needs to be our mission when we wake up every day. And so you're probably still thinking about, what's the sticky note for? Don't worry, I got you. I got plans. I put them all in there by myself, by hand. If you didn't get a chance to get one, we have some at the door. Um, or maybe if you want to grab another one. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab a pen, share with your neighbor next to you. And I want you to write down, however you want to write it, nice big so you can see it, the title of my message today, Live, Love, and Look Like Jesus. Go ahead, take a second. Live, love, and look like Jesus. It's such a simple concept, but it's so powerful. So powerful, church, if we could just grasp that concept for a moment. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this sticky note, and I want you to put it somewhere in your car. Somewhere, whether it's on the dashboard or over the speedometer so you don't see how fast you're going all the time, or if it's on the mirror or on the, you know, wherever. Put it somewhere that you can see it. That way you have a constant reminder of our calling as a church, of our calling as people that believe in Jesus. We need to be living a Jesus-centered life. We need to be loving people like Jesus loved us. And we need to be looking. We need to be intentional. So this is your challenge reminder. Because I know you're probably going to forget what I talked about today, and that's all right. You'll just remember how tight my jeans were and how awesome my beard looked. And that's okay. I'm, I'm okay with that. But this is your reminder that this is our goal. This is our job as a church to live love and to look like Jesus. So are you going to do that, church? That's, that's, that's your challenge this week. That's your challenge for the rest of this year. That's your challenge for a lifetime if you're, if you're ready to take it. 